0: This podcast is a love letter to every small business owner in Africa that dreams of growing big, every African executive that wants to get ahead, and every leader that wants more impact. I'm Tembi Kumalo, your host and the founder of Brand Builder Africa. We'll talk about everything to do with growing your business by building your brand. Hey, have you ever thought about how you'll get your business to the next level? I'm talking about scaling.
1: Have you visualized the results that you ultimately want, but maybe you just don't know how to make it all happen? Well, I felt that way a couple of years ago, and when I did, I was lucky enough to find a coach that understood what it means to do business in Africa, but also had a lot of clarity about my big, bold ambitions and how I wanted to be on par with my first world counterparts. She introduced me to so many helpful tools and tactics that have permanently altered the way we do business at Brand Builder, and it's also enriched my own coaching practice. That coach was Noreen Makosewe, and I've brought her in today to talk to you about scaling, and doing business in
0: Africa.
2: Hi Noreen, how are you doing? Hi Tembi, I'm really good, I'm wonderful, how are you? I'm good, where are you today? Today I am in Nairobi, it is now just gone 6 p.m. The sun is setting, but it's, it's nice and warm, so I cannot complain.
1: Oh, lovely. Did you get stuck there or were you going to be there anyway? Did you get stuck with the lockdown?
2: I I got stuck by choice. I was supposed to go back to London after working. I was working on a project uh, between Kenya and Rwanda. And as soon as we finished the project uh, in Rwanda, came back to Kenya, lockdowns were instituted. And I made the decision to be locked down with my family in Kenya (laughs) because they they, they live in Kenya and I live in London by myself so it was a no-brainer to stay for sure for sure it must be a little bit like a very nice extended holiday a weird one though (laughs) well well I, I wouldn't say holiday because when you're with family it's rarely a holiday you get to do lots of things together Um, But it's nice to be with them. I live in London and I miss them a lot sometimes and I'm away for a long period of time. Mm. This was a good way to spend time and catch up and and still work remotely. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Like it's good when clouds have silver linings, hey? Yes. Yeah, this
2: is a big cloud. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. (laughs) Like a mega cloud. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, a global one, a global one. Yeah.
1: So I'm sure that our listeners are now wondering about this lady who lives in London and is working remotely from Kenya and sounds like this is not an issue at all and a life, a lifestyle, I guess, that many, many people would would love to have. So tell us exactly what you do and how you got into it.
2: So what I do is I help SMEs, so small to medium enterprises, launch, grow, and expand. And uh, I do that through strategy, consulting, business technology, and market expansion. I got into that um, many years ago, but it didn't start off as exactly that initially. I worked in corporate London. I worked within an investment banking environment. And uh, the whole time I was there, I always knew that I wanted freedom from the nine to five. So I, I would call myself a corporate escapee. I spent my years working there, planning how to get out of it. And my my, my, my vehicle of choice was uh, my consultancy. Initially, I launched it as an executive coaching practice, but I quickly realized that as much as I liked coaching, I didn't particularly enjoy it as much as strategy. So I remodeled my business and and launch, we launched it as a strategy consulting company. And we use coaching as a, one of the things, uh, one of the tools for working with leaders and, uh, and CEOs. And, and technology, technology found me, or let me say I ran away from it when I was in university. I, I enrolled to, to study information systems and management. But mm-hmm. uh, at the time, back then, it was a lot of coding. So I was programming and coding and thinking, do I want to do this with my life for the rest of the time? Right, right. I didn't. I didn't see myself sitting behind a computer programming, coding, anything. So I did a bit of soul searching. After my father passed away, it gave me some perspective on what I really wanted to do. And I took a, a step away. I, I, um, I deferred my, my university course and went to work full time. Mm. And uh, and in that Mm -hmm. space of time, I made a decision. I always knew I wanted to work with people. Whatever I did, I wanted it to be people facing. So I went on this search of finding the the job that would give me the satisfaction of working with people as well as using my skill set. So I worked in retail. I hated it. I worked in sales. I hated it. (laughs) I worked as a a telemarketer. I hated it. I I think I did door to door. Back then, there was Avon. I did door to door. Hate, I hated it, and I just kept wondering, what, what can I do long-term that I really enjoy? And one day, a friend of mine sent me a link to a coaching course with Noble Manhattan. Noble Manhattan is the longest established coaching company, coach training company in Europe. So okay. I gave them a call. I attended a taster session. I loved it. Instantly, I could see that this, is, this was me. It described me I, completely. Uh, so, um, I, did, I, I did the research and I knew that I needed to pay my way, but I didn't have all the money at the time. So, I decided to get a job that would help me pay my way, but still give me a living. And, um, and I found my way in investment banking within creative services. So, that's a, a graphical uh, document management design EPC. Nice, nice. and, and so, I did that whilst paying for my, my coaching. And um, it slowly evolved and became strategic consulting. And then somewhere down the line, technology came back. And I realized that I didn't quite understand the breadth of technology when I was in uni and it wasn't explained very well. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that the graphical element that I really enjoyed was something that I could integrate into my business. So that's something that we do now with business technology for SMEs. And market expansion became a natural progression for businesses that came to us and said, we want to launch, and then they want to grow. And then they're now looking for opportunities to expand into new markets. So that's that's how it happened in a nutshell.
1: Wow. So I can see clearly from all of your material, your social media feeds, your media profile, your bio, that you you clearly have a, a design background. Um, so I can see how you're employing, you know, everything that you've learned in the different aspects of, of building your own brand as well as your clients' brands.
2: Yes, it has really helped me. I, I, one thing I'm grateful for, it it has saved me a lot of money (laughs) in hiring graphic designers. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's been very useful.
1: I mean, it sounds like you've had quite, it hasn't been a straight line, you know, your career path. And I I just want you to to talk to that a little bit, because I think a lot of people are still afraid to take roads that are, um, let's say, less traveled. So Mm -hmm. if it's not a straight line from high school to uni, to a job, to a business, you know, that they, they feel afraid. What will people say? They feel concerned that maybe they're coming across as confused. Um, but it looks like you've always taken that kind of courageous step that says, I'm going to pursue what gives me joy and I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't give me joy, I'm going to let it go. Tell us a little bit about that, how you've overcome those fears that, that, often hinder entrepreneurs
2: i'll be honest and say in the beginning stages it wasn't an intentional journey when i think most people including myself when you're growing up you have an imagination of who you want to become what you want to do so when i was Mm. young i had a very clear picture of i want to have a good job what that job was i didn't know I wanted to have a family. I was going to have children by 26, be done by 30. So you know how we have all of these yes. dreams as young girls? That yes. was my imagination back then. But then I quickly learned uh, that life doesn't always happen in a straight line. When, right. I was, when I was 17, I left Kenya, which is where I was born and brought up. And I migrated to the UK as a, as a young girl, just finished high school, going into college, exploring this completely new environment, new world. Nobody prepared me for it, but I was I was wide eyed, bushy tailed, and very excited <laughs> about the possibilities. <motivation. laughs> but I think it, if somebody had told me what it was going to be like, I may have stayed at home. And I think sometimes launching in the, into the unknown is really what stretches us and makes us become all these things. And what I learned from the age of 17 is that one choice would set me on this journey or a trajectory that would make me who I am today. So I left Mm -hmm. when I was 17, I went into a new country, went into college, was learning technology because I went, I went to learn information systems or let me say information Mm -hmm. technology, and then that progressed into IT um, information systems in, uh, in university. But, my father passed away when I was 21. So I think that was the first, the first uh, let me say, defining moment. Mm. And that defining moment made me become introspective to really think, Noreen, do you really want to do what you're doing at the moment? Right. My father had always been a great mentor. He encouraged me. He pushed me, but he didn't push me too hard. He just guided me in my choices. Uh, and the one thing I'd be grateful, I, was, I am grateful for when I look back, he didn't guide me in his choices. And I think a lot of, a lot of us Africans, young Africans, uh, when we're growing up, parents, guardians kind of project their mm-hmm. desire for us. And they did, they'd say, I, I want you to do this. I want you to become a doctor. I want you to become, I want you to get a job. But my father did not do that. He just held a space gave me options and then said whatever you want to become i'm here for you and that i think really helped me become confident in making mistakes i was Mm -hmm. never afraid to make mistakes i think the one thing and it still helps me now i'm not afraid to look silly (laughs) i I think uh, that's the thing that
1: yeah i think that's an essential quality for entrepreneurship sometimes you know it is because you you can't succeed if you're afraid to look stupid. Um, exactly. I always remember when I was in high school and I would be performing on stage and sometimes it didn't look great and sometimes it didn't sound great. And I remember there was a bunch of girls in my class. When I got off the stage, they would say things like, I'm so embarrassed for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think the onslaught of those remarks and, um, you know, jabs gave me quite a thick skin so that later in life I wasn't worried about, like, I'd, I'd looked stupid for so many years, so often that it didn't seem like anything that could kill. So I knew it wouldn't
2: kill me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that ridicule, I think, Yeah. You know, you, you, when, you, when you develop the immunity, and I think that is exactly like you're saying, is you become so thick-skinned that it doesn't matter anymore what people think or say. And my yeah. father's guidance help, helped me see that. So he kept saying, keep trying, don't worry, you can come back, anything you need, you can come home. If you feel it's too tough, come home, we're here. And I think that freedom to do that gave me the leeway to explore. Mm to make mistakes, to try. And uh, like you said, my, my journey hasn't been a straight line because my father passing uh, gave me the op- opportunity to really think about time. And that's something that I talk about a lot. Despite my, my, my expertise in a different area, time is actually my core message to a lot of people is we don't have that much time to do everything we want. So you, have, you don't have enough time to make mistakes. So the quicker you make the mistakes, the mm. better. Mm. and And my straight line I, I call it my own my own journey, uh, like you said it's not been a straight line, but I have explored. I think yeah. losing my father at a young age gave me a sense of urgency in with time mm. and so when people delay, i don't want to delay I 'll <laughs> see you on the other side if you're coming you know
0: yeah. and it,
2: if I want to explore a new country, a new business opportunity, I get on a flight and I go to do my research. And so those are the things that um, has given me the opportunity to see, to explore, to discover. There's so much in the world. And I think I don't even, I haven't even scratched the surface. And those are the things that make me ask questions. What is happening in Nigeria? What is happening Mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe? Mm -hmm. What's happening in in Ghana? What's happening in Tanzania? And if i I see an opportunity, I get on a plane and I go. I don't know what I'm going to find there, but I go. And those, those, those little trips, conversations, journeys. Internal, yeah. World. Yeah, they open up a whole world. So, so I'm, I'm not afraid to, to make those mistakes. I have made many, I'll be honest. And, uh, and they've taught me a lot. That's my data. I call it my data bank. I can tap into my data bank and say, no, we're not doing that this time. <laughs> because the last time, this
0: is what happened.
1: Yep,
2: <laughs> this yep. is what happened. Data-driven, so, yeah, it's it's making that's, that's exactly it. It's data-driven. I have context. I have reference. Mm-hmm. And so that also means that when clients come and say, what do you think? i say, wait, that's based on my research. <laughs> this is what I find. <laughs> yes, yes. This is what I found. You may explore it, but this is what you may also find. So it also helps them to grow in in what they're doing.
1: Sure. Now, as a person who straddles the wide expanse between the First World and and Africa, so you're living in London, it's highly developed, you know, there are systems that work, there's support, I'm guessing, um, and a very different way of living. And then there's Africa, which is hot and exciting and chaotic and fabulous. What stands <laughs> out for you in terms of the differences and opportunities in the entrepreneurship space between those two worlds, bearing in mind that our listeners are mostly African entrepreneurs?
2: You know, based on my research, <laughs> I <I'll> just go <laughs> Yes. What what I've found uh, over the years, and and what I what I draw from both both worlds is experience. Of course, we've done the books, we've done the reading, we read the reports, but just based on experience, this is this is what I've found, and this is something that when 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 speaking with SMEs or when speaking with CEOs or even companies in Europe that want to engage with Africa, what Mm -hmm. I say is context is very different. And even if we're looking at Africa as a continent, we've got to break it down one into regions and then look within those regions at the individual countries. The way Kenyans do business is vastly different from the way Tanzanians do business. It Mm. has to do with culture. It has to do with systems, the way the government has systemized uh, everything. Mm. The way you do business in Nigeria and Ghana is very different. The way you do business in Africa, Zimbabwe, Mm-hmm. And what I did was, um, I remember when I made the decision to take the leap from corporate and just focus on the consulting full time, I got on, on planes. My friends asked me, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to find out what's happening in Zimbabwe. Um, but, but, but you know, Zimbabwe is having challenging times. I said, I know. When I come back, I'll tell you what I found. <laughs> and, 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 and what happened is, in doing those little trips, what I learned is context matters greatly and even though africa is viewed as this continent where things are lagging behind there are things where africa is much further ahead i believe and uh, europe i live in the uk uk has systems yes they do have um, brilliant systems for supporting startups they have funds they have mentorships that are free that are paid for um, through taxpayers um, contributions and those really work however there is a difference between the hunger in Europe and the hunger for success in Africa. Mm. And the drive for success in Africa is much stronger. So you will find Africa is more innovative. There's a lot more innovation in Africa. The only challenge we have is supporting those innovators and giving them a system to develop beyond just the idea of innovation. Mm. So when, when, when straddling both worlds, there's the opportunity for organizations in Europe that want to tap into the innovation for Africa to look at how they can bridge that divide. So at the moment, um, as you know, Europe is going through this major transition. Brexit has happened. UK is living. The European Union trade agreements are being revised. Africa has just signed the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, I think, with a final member, which was Nigeria. And there's a lot of movement. Mm. But Africa is, is, despite what Africans think, Africa is in the lead, but our systems are failing us. Our leaders haven't put those systems in place to support Africa leading into the future of the global economy. So when I look at both sides of, of the fence, I have had the opportunity to work in Europe. I've had the opportunity to work in different African regions. And there's a massive opportunity for us to really take the lead in different industries, and my prayer, which is why I work with SMEs in Africa a lot more now, is mm. to prepare them to take those opportunities. So right. Africa, does have, Africa does have more than they think they do. We have the resources, we have the knowledge, our people are very educated in different countries. For example, Zimbabwe and South Africa, there's a high level of education. Nigeria, I think Nigerians lead the world in different uh, spaces, even in, in the Western world, in medicine, ETC, mm. we have the manpower we have the knowledge, we have what we need, we have the resources on the continent. Um, We we just need the systems. We need value addition. We need manufacturing. We need financing that is contextualized for Africa. We need to create things that Africans can use for Africa. If you look across the continent, Mm -hmm. we have a market on the continent. We don't need to trade very much with Europe, but it helps. And, And I think what, what, What we've done is we've esteemed Western markets over our own markets, And now is an opportunity for us to really change that as African entrepreneurs. You're
1: so right. And I think when you talk about all the things that we, we need as African entrepreneurs, it's very clear to those of us who are doing business on the continent. But what can we do and what should we be doing in our day-to-day um, operations. So what should I be doing to take advantage of the, the progress that Africa is making or to get ahead of the curve in terms of the future that we're building for Africa? Um, I mean, I'm clear about what government should be doing, um, perhaps what the banking sector should be doing. I'm clear that that there are systems that need fixing, but how do I, move ahead in the midst of all the things that others should be doing but aren't
2: personally this i think this is a personal opinion and i think it's a way for us to maybe consider i know different communities work in different ways but yeah i believe for africa for us uh, us entrepreneurs female entrepreneurs on the continent african entrepreneurs in different parts of africa we the collective is the only way for us to move forward.
0: Right. So
2: I know what I know. I know what I can do. I know what I'm good at, but I can't operate in my own ecosystem without mm-hmm. tapping into my system. Like your ecosystem, for example, we are having this conversation. At some point, maybe there's knowledge that somebody will pick up and say, aha, uh-huh, let me go and do this. Mm-hmm. But they probably have a, the community within their immediate circle they can have their 10 friends come together and say, what can we do to solve this problem in our community? I think the, the thing that I've noticed within our community, I'm African, um, I, 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 I speak to different Africans in different countries, is in the past we have worked in silos, we've worked alone um, maybe it 's just to get ahead first before we bring somebody else in. Maybe there 's that competitive element where you want to get ahead and then tell everybody hey i 've done it, you have <laughs> to do it yeah but but in the in the context of the world we live in at the moment, we have to work in tandem so i can I can discover methodology, but that methodology needs an ecosystem to thrive, and so mm-hmm. What I feel and believe, um, and actually there's, there's there's a system that the Europeans use, even though it's not widely publicized, I discovered through research and studying that there's a cluster excellence system that they use to develop entire sectors. So what we can do, I feel, is within our individual sectors is come together and cluster and look at the entire value chain. For example, if you look at the product-based value chains, maybe agriculture or people who create things, physical things Mm -hmm. within that chain, you have the people who supply the raw materials, who may extract it, Mm -hmm. those who may clean it, those who put it together, those who package it, those who ship it until the time it reaches the person who buys it in the end. There's an entire value chain there. And if I want to succeed in my business, I need to find who else in the value chain can support and and buy from them so for example right. I know you build a brand so yeah. in your value chain you probably have um, designers and I remember I reached out to you one time and yeah, you connected yes, me with you designers.
1: yeah so in
2: your value chain there's somebody that I need so I get that person in, in your value chain I find the next person who will then develop the next stage of my business and so on and so forth mm. and we just do that collect on an ongoing basis. That's the only way I feel each of us in our individual work lives, our daily lives, we can work in that way and say stage one is me, stage two is Tembi, stage three is the shipper, stage four is the person who's going to uh, distribute it to the houses where it goes. That's and do you,
1: do you believe that this can work in Africa? Because there's a little bit of a struggle about um, collectivism if I can put it that way. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's unique to Southern Africa, but it seems that we just, we struggle to work
0: together. Mm. Is that something that you've noticed?
2: Yes. Well, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say yes, because yes, indeed, in different African communities, there is, um, I have a mentor who, calls it crabology. So this is the crab mentality. All the crabs are in one bucket and one tries to climb up the other so like where you're going and pull it down. Mm -hmm. So there there is there is that mindset and yes I have seen it and yes I have experienced it. But there's also a different collective there's a new breed of Africans who understand the collective mentality. They know that actually yeah. Exactly and they pull their resources together. I'll give you an example um, that's happening right now. So I I work with different SMEs and some of them are at the stage of, they need to raise capital to scale beyond where they've gotten to at the moment. Mm -hmm. So in accessing those finances, accessing that financing, we are having to find financing that is tailored for Africans, which is different from say financing that's tailored for European businesses. For so sure. African businesses do not necessarily need millions, maybe at the stage of business. They need maybe a quarter of a million. They need 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, but a lot of financiers will not give that because it doesn't make any sense for them to do that. Yeah. So what we're doing at the moment is there is clusters and collectives of Africans who've come together in different countries, some are in the U.S, some are in Europe, some are in Africa, and they're saying... I have $500, what can I put it in? And then others are saying, I have $1,000. So in this collective, groups of 300 people are coming together to fund the businesses. Mm-hmm. Groups of a 1,000 are coming together and saying, we'll put in a 1,000 and we make it work for us. So at the end of the year, we'll all draw from this pot, this pot mm-hmm. but the business will have grown and scaled. Now, Is this
1: happening so- in East
2: Africa? Well, it's happening in South Africa, I know, it's happening in East Africa, it's happening in the US, it's happening in the UK, um, it's literally happening because I've, I've, I've gotten into those systems and I'm beginning to understand how they're working because I know some of my clients can benefit. So I was giving that as an example to say there, are, there, there is a, a new breed of Africans who get it that we cannot do this the way we used to we have to come together yeah, and together. then there's obviously the issue of trust is mitigated by legal documentation so in the past in africa we had the gentleman's handshake you shake mm-hmm. hands you agree and you say i'll bring you your cow within <laughs> a year it'll have like given birth to the next cow yeah. but then in the in the world that we live in we're doing business cross border so how do we legalize that so it's documentation Having those difficult conversations and saying I will work, but you need to pay me, even though you're my friend. Um, mm-hmm. It's those mm-hmm. conversations that we need to have. But I do believe it works and it can work. But I think it's the systems that we have put in place in the past that haven't really been um, helpful. And uh, and as Africans, we need to do better. That's the honest truth. <laughs> <laughs> Doing
1: better, yes. I, I really mm-hmm. believe that we, we do better when we require more of ourselves and others. That's right, that's, um, that's so right. So we, we actually have a duty to, to require more of ourselves and to require more of each other. Yes.
0: yes now yes, I too. wanna
1: go, I wanna just talk about a place where there's a lot of um, trepidation about what others say and what others require of us. Which is social media. I know that you're you're very active on social media. You're probably one of the most consistent brands that I have seen. Oh wow! Um, honestly, coming out of social media, wow. consistently present, consistent in your presentation, consistent in your content, and the the kind of thread that runs through your messaging.
2: Thank you. Thank so you. That I, means a lot coming from you because I know you
1: build <laughs> <your> brand. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it really is very impressive. I want to find out how, and I, I want to find out, first of all, how are you getting business? Because you've obviously put a lot of time and thought, invested a lot of time and thought into your social media presence. Is it bringing you business? And what are other entrepreneurs who spend time on social media doing wrong? If I could use that expression, because I think a lot of people are on social media. They believe they should be on social media, but there's no real strategy behind being there. You know, they're just kind Mm -hmm. of posting quotes, posting pictures, um, a little bit randomized. So... Could you just talk a little bit about your social media strategy, how you monetize your presence on social media, and how you get a return on the investment of time and energy that you put into there?
2: Okay, with social media, I wasn't—I wasn't an early adopter. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't an early adopter. I was actually shy of social media when I first started. Mm. I'm very private, so I didn't want to keep posting. Um, about myself. That's the first thing. So I did a lot of hiding of who I was. I was just doing quotes and quotes and quotes. Mm-hmm. But what I learned, and in the early stages, I was very much on Facebook. I had a Facebook page. I did garner a lot of followers because people liked inspiration. But as, mm-hmm. as, as I began to develop the clarity of my, myself, my brand, and what I wanted to show up as in the marketplace, I knew that quotes are not enough. I love quotes. In fact, mm-hmm. I write them all the time. Right. But it's not enough. It's not enough value to retain attention because I'm posting quotes and there's millions of other people posting quotes. Right. How am I different? And how are my quotes different? So what I decided to do was instead of copying quotes on the line online and putting the name of the person who wrote it, I decided I'm gonna write my own quotes that nobody can find anywhere else on the internet. Right. So I, I I invested in my my studying. I started reading more, studying my industry. Mm. And then I also made the decision, um, I was reading a book, I need to remember the author, it's called Known. Um, I I need to find the title. And what this book is about, it was written by a a strategy, a marketing strategist. And he asked a very important question, which stayed with me, is what do you want to be known for? Because you can do a thousand things, but people will remember you for one thing. And if you don't know what that one thing is, you're lost in the marketplace. So I began to really think, mm, what do I want to be known for? What do I really want? What do I want people to call me for? I remember the name. His name is Mark Schaefer. And yes. he's, uh, he's yeah he's a, it's a best-selling book called Known. People should just go check it out on Amazon. And he asked the question and he gave examples of how people became known. But, and what I learned from being known is they didn't set out to be known in popularity. They mm. set out to be good, good at what they did. Mastery. So of, right. oh, exactly. That's it. That's a word exactly. Mastery. So they mastered the skill they wanted, they enjoyed the most. There's a lady who became a chef, but she wanted to do it in a fun way. So she would cook with wearing Disney character clothing. And she's a millionaire now because... People enjoyed seeing her cook as Cinderella, you know? Right. I mean, this is, like, people do all these things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sat down and asked myself what I really want to be known for. And, and I realized back then I was known for different things. That people kept asking me, so Noreen, what do you really do? And whenever people ask you that, you know that your message is not clear. <laughs> so <laughs> what do you really do? I was like, oh, okay. So I, I realized my marketing, my pitch wasn't clear enough. Right. So I went back to the drawing board and I began to revise what I wanted to say. Uh, it took some time. I'll be honest and say it does. It's not a quick thing oh, to come yeah. up with the value proposition. Yeah. yeah. So I I revised it to say it doesn't feel right in my soul. It doesn't sound like me. Mm. That doesn't look like me. And so I did these iterations of going back and forth and back in colors and fonts and etc. And then I arrived at what I felt represented where my brand was. And then I decided I wanted to be known for strategy. That's what I want people to call me for. If there's a room of people talking about me when I'm not there, I want them to say, you want strategy? Call Noreen. Mm-hmm. That is what I wanted. And so I invested in the knowledge around strategy, reading, revising, reading, studying, listening, learning, changing, mm-hmm. and I of to release what did not work. And it began to show up in my social media. And I began to speak about strategy but in storytelling form because people like stories and people engage with who you really are so I didn't want to talk at them to tell them go do this go do this go do that I wanted to show them that I have been here before here's how I came out and here's how you can too so that was my strategy in telling the story so whenever I post anything I'm contextualizing it from something I have learned. And it could be a lesson I'm learning and I'm sharing. Yeah. But I post it in the context of strategy, in the context of technology, in the context of expansion. It, it can be anything, but I remember that that is what I'm talking about. And occasionally, I'll add something about my personal life, so I'm human to them. Yeah. And, and that has been my strategy over the years. And uh, when you asked about the ROI, when I started out, I didn't start out to sell online because I I didn't know how to. Mm. But what I noticed is as more people related with my stories, I I I remember sharing a poster about losing everything financially. I'm not afraid to share my stories. Actually, yes, I I think that's how I ended up being your client. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And I, I lost everything. And what people, sometimes people will think, if I tell people I lost everything, they won't trust me to help them. But then what happened was in my sharing, my failure, people trusted me more because they realized you won't judge me. You can relate with my challenge. And people then begin to open up and say, I'm going through this right now. How do I talk to this person? How do I recover money? I've lost everything. And so that is what then translates into clients for me. So I post online and I find that people are attracted to how I navigated those challenges. That is how they convert. And majority of my business comes through social media, which is very interesting because I never set out to do it that way.
0: Mm. So they
2: find me, then they recommend it to someone. And I like it like that because it's organic. What yeah. I used to worry about when I first started is, ooh, I don't have a lot of followers. Ooh, I don't think people are going to trust me because I don't really have thousands and thousands of followers. Yeah. But then what I realized is in my little network of, however many they are on different platforms, opportunities have come through people call me for articles people call mm. me for interviews and then clients reach out and talk to me and some of them talk to me for a year before they hire me I'm okay yeah. with that yeah so my strategy was to use social media as a supplement to my business not as the main driver yeah. and a lot of the other business the majority of let me say the businesses that bring let me say the bigger bucks are the ones that are offline and those ones don't even talk to me on social media, but they, they look and see and realize that, okay, she has a following. She has credibility. We mm-hmm. like what you said about this. Can you come and work with It's really interesting. I, I think I'm seeing on social media.
1: I, I think we it. all are, to be honest, because it's like an evolving thing anyway, you know? It is. Um, it is. But I really would say to those who are listening, if you can check out Noreen's social media, to me, that is how an entrepreneur should be running, especially if you are a knowledge-based business. You know, if you're working in the knowledge economy, this is, for me, it's like a case study of how you should roll out (laughs) your social media. And I think it it is a testament to the amount of thought and um, reflection and being deliberate and intentional that you've put into that. So well done you.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. That's, I feel, I I didn't, you know, sometimes I look at my social media and I just think it's it's normal. But thank you so much because I know that you build brands and this is something that you've done for big brands and received awards. So it means a lot coming from you. So thank you. No, you are very welcome.
1: So, Noreen, do you have three things that African entrepreneurs should be doing to succeed? Um, I want to say women entrepreneurs in particular because, yeah, I just think that there's so much potential that is latent um, that could could do amazing things. So, what, what would your three big takeaways for African women entrepreneurs be? Um, before we round up.
2: Three takeaways or three things that I think for me are always top of mind is know yourself. It sounds cliche, but <laughs> the reason that is so important is without that level of self-awareness about who you are and who you're showing up as in the market and what your message is, you get lost in the noise. And there's a lot of noise in Africa. There mm-hmm. is a lot of noise of everybody wanting to be this person sell this thing, find a new opportunity, but then what makes us stand out or what makes any individual stand out is knowing who they are and what they stand for. I think knowing what your deal breakers are and what type of business you want to build will then inform the decisions you make around your partnerships, around your products, around your services, how you deliver them. So the self-awareness is important to me. I know who I, know who I am and how I am wired so there are some opportunities that will come to me and instantly I know, mm, no, this is not for me because yeah. of how I am wired. My personality yeah. will, not <laughs> will not permit it. For example, I, 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 don't like, um, I don't like this organization. So anybody, I know there is that spontaneous entrepreneurship mindset and it's great up until a particular point.
0: Mm. But
2: I, I, need, I need organization, I need clarity. I need, so when I'm doing partnerships or working with clients, that is communicated in how things are delivered and how we work together. So knowing yourself, knowing your personality, knowing how you're wired, how you think, what you like, what you don't like, who you want to sit with, work with, talk to, that's important. And, and being okay with it because they, you will lose opportunities because some of those things will not fit what it is that you have planned for yourself. The, the second thing is know your market. The, Africa is so vast. It's so vast. One of the failings I think we have on the continent is we're not a data-driven continent. Mm. We're not a data-driven people. Yeah. And yeah. We, don't store, we don't store information across the continent. You do have the individuals who do, and little pockets of people who keep their data. But as a continent, as a collective, it's very rare. If I need to find information on share butter, for example, I was doing some research on the share butter market. For myself and for a client and i could not find the data in africa yet africa produces the most shea butter in the world or maybe is the producer of shea butter mm. i had to purchase i had to purchase the report from a european uh, data center
0: oh my word
2: and then i i had to find another report that was owned by a, an indian organization and i oh. could not for the life of me understand how we got to the point where we own the resources, but our data is stored outside of the continent. And so my, I'm on this mission to be a, to be a data-driven business myself. Mm. I need to know mm. why I'm pricing the way I'm pricing. Yep. I need to know yep. why, why I'm focused on, say, I'm focused on Nigeria, because it's data. It has nothing to do yeah. with the people. It's data-driven. Mm. I need to know mm. the, the GDP of the country, The capability of the people in that country to purchase what we have Need to know if my client wants to expand into South Africa, I need to know their data in South Africa. I can't find it online. Mm
0: -hmm. That is
2: the problem we have. So my my challenge to entrepreneurs is we need to know our market and, and it's based on data. We cannot function without it. So technology is a big part of collecting it, storing it and disseminating it and then sharing it because I should be able, if if say somebody reached out to me and say, Noreen, what do you know about Tanzania? I'll give them my data because I've collected it from experience. But there's a bigger collective that could really help by bringing their data to one place. So what can entrepreneurs who are listening, for example, do to make sure they have the numbers, the data they need to make those decisions within their ecosystem? So that's knowing your market and, and then, you know, having your data. And then I think the last thing would be uh, be bold and be confident, be courageous. Um, nothing great was ever achieved without courage. And as women True. entrepreneurs on the continent, True. there's a level of courage required of us that is not required of anybody else because we're going into spaces where we may be told we're welcome, but we're not, we're not given the space to feel welcome the space is not made for us to voice our opinion without being judged. Right. If I speak uh, at, at an event, and, and this is the most interesting thing, is I've, I've attended conferences in different countries in Africa. And because you're female, you're given the last opportunity to speak or your voice is silenced because, you know, there's a man who needs to say what, what they need to mm-hmm. say. And All even you're though asked it's to not, speak
1: for free while everyone else is getting hit. <laughs>
2: Oh, I know. I remember that. I I've, recently I've had to negotiate deals where I come to the table and say I need to know what the male counterpart in this organization is earning because you won't give me ten percent and then give them twenty five percent. That is a no. So it's it's that boldness to voice your opinion without yeah. being without feeling that you need to silence yourself to fit yeah. in because you have we have so many women entrepreneurs working hard there's so many excellent women entrepreneurs but mm. it's not translating into bank accounts. Mm. And, mm. and the boldness is what we need to be bold enough to, 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 to ask for what we want, but also to be bold enough to build bigger. I think what I've seen on the continent is as women entrepreneurs, we've been conditioned to build small, small business. Yes. Ten, 10 people.
1: Beginning
2: things. <laughs> Exactly. And I'm on this mission. I actually have an initiative called Female Founders Africa. And my challenge to all of them, anyone that I speak to, I run a mastermind with them, is can you build bigger than what you've built so far? Can we price it differently? Can we talk to this corporation instead of this small business? And it's terrifying because they're not used to some of it. And it's tough because they're stuck on the, on, on certain things, but it's a gentle encouragement to say, if you really want to hit this price target, we need to go faster. We need to go higher. We need to be bold enough to pitch. And so it's that pitching confidence that I keep talking about. And, Mm. and, and yeah, the boldness and the courage to do that is very important. So those are my three takeaways and I hope, I hope they help.
1: Noreen, it is just amazing to talk to you and so enlightening Mm -hmm. I feel like a match has been lit to my brain. (laughs) Oh, wow.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um,
1: And for those who are listening, you can find Noreen um, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yes. Yes.
2: And what's your handle? My handle is Noreen. Makosewe, N-O-R-E-E-N, M for mother, A-K-O-S for Sierra, E-W-E. And we'll definitely put
1: that in our show notes as well. So you've heard it for yourselves. You've got to know yourself, know your market, and be bold as we go out this evening. Thank you, Noreen, and see you soon.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Tembi. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: you've been listening to brand to build a podcast brought to you by brand builder africa we'll be back here next week with more thoughtfully curated content for entrepreneurial leaders who are doing business in africa stay subscribe and let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear about next to learn more visit our website at www.brandtobuild.co, or email ask us at brandtobuild.co.